0: And it's like that, we're back with another episode of Flippin' F1, where four fans fire off about F1. The circus and the capacity crowds return to Silverstone, where we're treated to an extra race by the inaugural Sprint Quali, treated at high temperatures, and I'm not talking about that, sun-baked spectators, and so much more. Our post-race Folic, featuring goofball games, candid commentary, accessible analysis, not to mention my usual avalanche alliteration. Let's just break down last week's race, talk about the circuit and the surrounding area, and dig a little deeper into the world's most legendary motorsports. Whether you're one of our seven listeners, hey mom, are new to this squad and the sport, uh, our panel remains more predictable than an F1 podium. As always, I'm your host, that Take Tea with Toast, Randy, and joining me in the studio is our usual panel of fanboys, Andrew Spencer, a firm believer that the early birds simply just get screwed, joins us from the left coast. How you doing, bud?
1: Pretty good, Randy. How you doing, buddy? I'm
0: good, man. I'm good. Our in-house Merc slam boy, who we love all the same, the fun-loving, wine swilling sax spewing joy-listening lecturer himself, our absent-minded professor,
2: Phil's here. How you doing, man? As absent-minded as ever, but am I allowed to keep slamming Mercedes or not? I've sort of lost track of that these days. I've gotten over the grief from the race, though, I can tell you that much, and I'm happy to discuss now. I don't think anything would ever stop
0: you anyways. Not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, rounding us out, the barrister of balance, the solicitor of speed, the counselor of curves, our tech junkie and rules interpreter extraordinaire, Gareth. What's happening, man?
3: Oh, everything. Everything's going on. Lovely to see you guys. I've got a beautiful cocktail from Grey Tiger, local cocktail bar here. It's a spritz. Ooh, Definitely spent part of today, like uh Sunday on a patio drinking cocktails. So this will be great.
0: I like it. I like it so, so much to get into this week. So, delay, let's jump into it, man. Solid absolutely legendary, and it never, ever fails to create a great atmosphere, if not always a wonderful race. G-Man, before we even get started, what were some of the important technical specs that teams are thinking about coming into this race? I know we heard a lot about upgrades to the car, but how does that work exactly? Like, during the course of the season, what do they mean by their upgrading? Aren't just cars just
3: cars baseline it's uh bolting new stuff onto it make it go faster theoretically so says the people with (laughs) with the wind tunnel and the degrees and the uh and the big computers
0: (laughs) add new stuff that's why we look for his expertise his technical knowledge is
2: second to none ladies and gentlemen
0: stunning
3: (laughs) it's explained in a relatable way uh the vehicles are not static they are tweaked on wrenched on all throughout uh the season Teams bring upgrades. What we see, and you see this a lot in the practice, is aerodynamic upgrades. They'll try this front wing or that front wing or these things on the side or these little expensive bits of carbon fiber. But let's see if we can get the air moving in a different way that better suits the track that we're on. Silverstone, you need a little bit more downforce. There's a lot of really high-speed corners. There's some upgrades like that. Um, We're a little bit more locked in this season. You can't do a lot of engine upgrades. But people are bringing reliability upgrades. I think Mercedes brought one recently. Honda brought one a few races ago. And these reliability upgrades for the power, they also seem to bring just a little bit extra horsepower. Who knew? So all through the season, there's kind of consistent development. We will see it drop off or some people, if you're Haas, not develop your car at all, really. (laughs) And that's why we see differences develop over the course of the season in terms of people are getting faster, people are getting slower, people are getting closer together. And we've got our Monza spec, which is low down us and blah, blah, blah. So throughout the season, they bolt different stuff onto the car to see if you can go faster, turn corners faster. Long story short.
0: Just for the record, man, you know, it's radio. Nobody can see your air quotes. Just kind of reminding you. So <laughs> it's just one of those things.
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a good thing. It means nobody can see our respective faces either. Ah,
0: uh, this is true, but that's how we get an audience. So... <laughs> 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 That's all good.
3: So what were some of the upgrades that you saw this weekend that really made a difference, Matt? Specific upgrades? I feel like Merck came with some more more bits that brought them just a little bit closer to Red Bull. Uh, I believe it was kind of some front wing type stuff. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on that one. That was the main one. That was kind of what we saw out front. We didn't really see a lot from anybody else. And unfortunately, I haven't had time this week to read the technical briefing notes.
0: Yeah, no, it sounded like they did a whole lot to the floor and a whole lot to, you know, underneath the car. Phil, why does that make a difference, playing around underneath the car? And I know we're not just talking about Merck, I think Ferrari is some of the same.
2: Well, every, I mean, everybody, you know, they are doing upgrades, especially on a on a circuit like this. They're doing a bit of upgrades to the floor. To simplify it down for the layman's terms, and not to get into the technical side of game, it's airflow. It's how speed's flowing through to allow them to go through the corners faster. Uh, and not to get bogged down on the straights quite as much by having to have some massive rear wings that allow them to go around the corner so this would you know if you adjust your floor to create a bit more um, the word does escape me today but a bit more downforce within that in that area it's
3: effectively suction
2: suction there you go yeah. uh thank you uh it's allowing them to run a slightly narrower rear wing um which is ultimately what mercedes was doing there too they they Got away a little bit from the barn door, as I was calling it, the last couple of races, and slimmed it down just a little bit more on the circuit, uh, and so that's what can allow them to go much faster uh, in the corners and get a faster lap time.
3: Because if you can make your car stick without adding drag, you can go faster because drag <laughs> slows you down. And was it power? I think it's a square, a square relative. Like you got to have like a square root amount of power to overcome the drag. So it's, it's it can be very effective.
0: I was just about to comment that uh, Phil is clearly not a professor of physics. But then, of course, Gareth came with a math.
2: So, what else makes <laughs> sense? Neither of us <laughs> are professors of physics. But if you look at what they've done for the 2022 regulations, right, mm-hmm. uh, and not to jump ahead in any specs or anything like that, but they're creating more suction underneath the cars. They're creating that, that essential funnel of how the air is sticking the glue in the car to the track, which is going to allow them to run with a much slimmer profile. Wing set, so it's going to be interesting to see how speeds work when it comes to that
3: yeah and the and we are jumping ahead but the entire idea of that not everything old is new again this this stuff happened in the 80s slightly differently 70s 70s 80s you were there i wasn't <laughs> but, that's why i'm gonna say 70s i might as well own my age <laughs> Eighteen seventies. 70s uh the the entire idea is so that you can run less wing and disturb the air behind the car a bit less so that everybody can follow a bit closer, so that the air isn't as turbulent. And there's all sorts of wonderful videos out there with pictorial diagrams of this to hopefully potentially have closer racing, which would be lovely. Although I, I think we saw some close racing this weekend.
0: Yeah, we, we really did. Seth, let's get you into the conversation. What did you notice about upgrades to the car or who was running better?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, look,
1: it, it, from my uh, very amateur eye, it looked like Merck had a lot of pace back. Right. They were fighting with Red Bull in a way that we haven't really seen since the start of the year, probably going back to Spain and Portugal. So, you know, I'm, I'm not the guy to talk about what they actually did. I'm the <laughs> I'm the fan of the stands. And you know, look, it was exciting to see uh, a more balanced race.
0: Yeah. You know, I was you know, I got to ask about this because, I mean, yeah, Merck put up a big package, but it looked like McLaren did some of the car because Danny Rick was back out of nowhere. You know, was that the car 10. or was that him? I don't well, know. No, it
1: was it was the pit crew making Lando sit in the pits for an extra five or six seconds, keeping <laughs> him close, <laughs> keeping him within touching distance.
0: And Spence comes with a the conspiracy theory early. I
1: love it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was that was only one. I've got a couple of McLaren conspiracy theories
3: I'm going to toss out later. That was definitely one of them. I can't wait to hear them. This was like that hidden condition in the Mercedes-Benz engine supply. Toto's just like, um, now, please. <laughs> <Now>. <laughs> and your discount is being applied as we right. speak <laughs> discount code silverston 15 percent off your next year's engines
0: so i gotta ask yeah. that because as a casual fan i thought this early on right like so if i'm somebody who's buying an engine from somebody else and then i'm starting to make my own upgrades onto the car do i feel some obligation to share what i've learned to the, the work team?
2: it depends not really ultimately it depends on the contracts that are signed i mean there have been errors in the past where there's been a very strong you are a customer team we are the primary team and when we ask you to move over on the track you will oblige and
3: that's usually tied to funding <laughs> right.
2: um, i'm not entirely sure that mercedes has one of these i don't think they do that i think i mean this is this, they don't th- we're talking way back i mean not way back we're talking 20 years back like, and every
3: time, you know, Ferrari lapped a minority with a Ferrari engine in it. Yeah. Or Sauber with a Ferrari engine
1: in it. That must be against the sporting code now, though, right? I mean, like, I know team orders are one thing. And, and I'm really kind of talking without much grounding here, but... It's what you do best. You could not have a deal. Yeah, well, that's why we're here. <laughs>
3: you, you could not have a
1: deal exactly. at this point that would um, kind of make the sport less competitive, right? Like... When I see you know Valtteri get dropped down the grid and then start to work his way back, I don't really think that every time he sees a car with a Mercedes motor or a Mercedes power unit in it ahead of him, that that's going to be somewhat less of a fight. I'm sure that you know some of the team principals would wish it was so, but I mean, you know, I think we've seen lots of good Mercedes on Mercedes racing this year, some good Ferrari and Ferrari racing that would suggest otherwise. I mean, I don't know what the actual code says.
2: I'm sure it's in the code, and I'm sure there's elements of it. And, uh, you yeah, uh, know, let's be honest, we're all ignorant here when it comes to this stuff. None of us have sat down and actually seen uh, an engine contract from a manufacturer to a customer team. Fair so fast. we really don't know. Yeah, but sadly. no, it's, it's probably not in there. And no. the, one of those conspiracy theories that pops up specifically when a front leading team that's charging for the championship has one of its customer teams, all of a sudden they pass them for no reason on the, on the circuit. It's happened. It's happened even in the Mercedes era.
1: Well, I bet you that Toto wishes he had exercised that clause <laughs> right before Valkyrie
3: came up behind George Russell at Imola. <laughs> it, would have, it would have saved him a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and there's our callback. There it yeah. is. And going back to the contracts, it's kind of interesting. You don't see on McLaren, really, a Mercedes-Benz logo anywhere. They pay for their engines. They pay full freight for their engines. There's no kind of deal or sponsorship or anything like that. You will see Mercedes-Benz logos or AMG logos on uh, some of the Williams stuff. And they're also a personal sponsor of George. Like there is a slightly closer relationship there. And this goes back to upgrades. There's these things called listed parts where you can buy parts that are made by a different F1 team, a different constructor, and put them on your car subject to a bunch of regulations that was the stuff with the brake ducks last year, with uh, Racing Point, as they as they then were. And I don't know if McLaren takes any listed parts from Mercedes-Benz or not. I know that Williams takes quite a few listed parts. So I think this is just pure conspiracy theory, but it makes for a great discussion.
0: <laughs> it does. To get a conspiracy, Phil, I know this is one of the circuits that you love every season. So tell us a little bit about the history of Silverstone, especially the funny names of the turns. I know that as a new racer, this is always one of my favorite things. You know, you be watching the <laughs> Grand free and I mean, you hear names like Cops and Maggots and other things like that. It's like, what the hell am I listening to
2: right now? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic circuit. To be honest, it's an old circuit. It's one of the older ones. It's built on an old airfield, an old World War Two airfield, um, and a lot of the names huh. are actually historical. They're actually historical to the area. So uh, I can't remember if it's Cops or Stowe right now. I think it's Stowe actually. That's actually for a school, a private school, a boarding school that's nearby. But it's somebody, I think Richard Branson, somebody said had gone there. So, you know, they're named for the area as well. Um, abbey and, and Priory, which is one of the older corners that isn't used right now. You know, that's all for an old abbey that was in, in that area. Right. Uh, and so it's got history from that side of things. You've got the Wellington Strait, which is after the Wellington bombers in World War Two. Hanger Strait, obviously, we know. Yes, we have the Hamilton straight now. Leave it alone.
0: Leave it alone, Phil.
2: (laughs) You know what? I'll admit, you know, you've got to give credit to a seven time world champion. I think that's really good. I don't necessarily agree with giving credit to a seven time world champion while he's still racing. racing. Wait until he retires and then give him the honor. I'm all for that. Whether I'm a Hamilton fan or not, I'm all for that. But I don't think you need to name it after him while he's still racing on the circuit. It's a little bit weird hearing. And Hamilton's going down the Hamilton Straight. You know? <laughs> yeah, it, it it irks a little bit. But anyway, you've got some fantastic corners on the on the circuit. You've got Cops, which is one of the faster ones, fastest ones in F1 right now. Uh, and we will talk about that a little bit later on. I know we're going to get to that. We've got Stowe, which is a absolutely fantastic corner. You're coming into it at 300 plus kilometers an hour and slamming on the brakes and coming out at about 130. And it's tight, right? And, you know, you've got to hold on there. We've seen some amazing incidents out of there. The circuit, relatively speaking, has not changed. It's been tweaked a little bit. And they did a massive upgrade that sort of took them out of Priory and into and around the loop and up onto the Wellington Strait, basically, a number of years ago. But really, a lot of the corners have been there. Maggots, Beckets, they're historical, right? Uh, The fun part, and as I was doing my research for this, I didn't realize, there have been Three pit straights on this circuit.
0: Huh. Really?
2: Right? Yeah. I knew about two of them, but I didn't know about the third. So that was uh that was for me that sort of the interesting uh piece that came out of that. I was like, huh, interesting. That is a fun circuit and I love it from from that perspective. Not to mention it's Britain and I am British, you know. Uh, really? No bias there. <laughs> no bias. No bias.
0: I mean, I know we're gonna talk about the incident, Gareth, but like, you know, tell us about cops. why is that corner so fast, so important to racing at least at, at silverstone and in general i know it's a corner that they talked about a lot it's just such a high speed
3: corner i mean we we might have seen an the incident there i think it was about 180 miles an hour today and it leads into this beautiful complex phil touched on it, called maggots becketts and i've got the map up in front of me it leads into this incredibly high speed left right left right like just Boom, we'll and you can just see the cars move. So, if you get a bad run at a cops, you're, you're screwed for this beautiful high speed area. Copes, or cops, if, if you will, has a wonderful passing zone. If you get a pass right, you can put a brilliant move either up the inside or up the outside. If you get it wrong, you touch and somebody's in the barriers. And we might yeah. have had a little touch this weekend. A couple of people might have come together. <laughs>
0: Maybe you just if you're an
3: F1 fan, you might you might have seen some a reference to this somewhere. Might have been in, in a little bit of media somewhere. We had a little coming together. Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, lap one of the race, not the sprint race, to be correct, coming together, and we will talk about that some more. I think there's some penalties.
0: Oh no doubt. to a newer fan to Formula One. Tell us about your kind of first couple of races watching Silverstone and and what that was like for you as a newer fan. You know. I mean, especially this last couple of races have been really interesting. Yeah. I
1: mean, like it's been absolute chaos there, right? I mean, we're going back last year to, you know, all of our Pirelli tire failures in the first race, uh, Kvyat going in the wall. Sorry, I had to get another dig in at Pirelli. And this is, I've, had, I've had my own Pirelli tire blowout this week, which has like got me kind of riled up. I'm
0: sure it was debris, man. I'm sure it was debris. <laughs> it it's it's got to be debris.
1: <laughs> but, you know, between uh between, Kvyat, between, you know, the Pirelli blowouts, this last incident with Max and Lewis, I mean, it's just chaos, right? And I think, you know, what I enjoy often as a, as a new fan is seeing, you know, a, a mixed up grid. Like, what's the furthest we can get from Ham Verbot? Give me some of that. That's what I like to see. And Silverstone seems to give that an awful lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's keep this conversation going, right? Because clearly England is so much more than crumpets, jam, and fill. So tell us more about the (laughs) landscape and food that we'd find ourselves around if we were, you know, in a caravan heading towards Silverstone, right? Like, where's the circuit located? What's interesting about where it's surrounded?
1: Yeah, yeah. So you're about, I'm going to say, an hour and a half uh, northwest of the city um, in London. And you're in an area that's really, it's Motorsports Valley. If you're a UK-based F1 team, other than McLaren, you're going to be right around where Silverstone is, right? Brackley is there. You know, Milton Keynes is just down the road. Grove is not too far. All of these great facilities that the teams have are all really close by. So that's why I think there's a lot of testing done at Silverstone. And, you know, it's it's a really important part of the local economy.
0: You know, just for those listeners who are are new to us, right, maybe I'll explain what, you know... The significance of like Milton Keynes and Grove, like what's
1: there? Yeah, yeah. So Milton Keynes is where uh, our friend Christian Horner uh, goes into his lair to plot, you know, the overthrow of Toto, right? <laughs> That's where Red Bull's uh, located. Wow. Um, Grove is where our friends at Williams kind of are, are doing their best to kind of to come back, right, and, and be relevant again. And uh, Mercedes is in, uh, I think they're in. Um, Brackley, Brackley, Brackley. Brackley? yeah, exactly, Brackley. Yeah. Yeah. So they're the right there. Yeah.
3: And then Bricksworth as well. Got yeah, there, and Bricksworth,
1: yeah. I think the, engine, the yeah. engine plant is, or the engine facility. And mm-hmm. then I think there's, uh, I think Haas is nearby in the old, uh, Oh gosh, that name's escaping me. I
3: think they're in the manor facility, aren't
1: they? Yeah, anyway, it's, it's also very close. But, I mean, all of those teams are, are kind of right there.
3: Well, and then Silverstone, you've got Aston Martin's based yeah, out of Silverstone. Sure. And then Enstone is around there somewhere, and that's where... Uh, that's where Renault is where at. Alpine. Alpine. Renault, Alpine, Alpine, Alpine Lotus, yeah. Benetton, whatever they're called this year. The Endstone team, as they're known now. They're they're just known as the Endstone team, really. Exactly.
0: (laughs) The Bermuda Triangle of teams, as it were.
3: Yeah. Still smells of Flavio's cologne back there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Good times, good uh, good times. Of course, like Monaco, Silverstone is just a magnet for celebrity guests to the race. And this year, we spotted the legendary Harrison Ford and the back-poop-crazy Tom Cruise taking in the race. (laughs) Uh, fellas, what other celebrity
1: sightings did you notice this year at Silverstone? Hey, hang on, can I just say, before we move on from Tom Cruise, did anyone see the video that Tom Cruise did with David Coulthard, Mark Webber, and some random British auto journalist? They drove GT3s around Silverstone, and it was absolutely awesome. If you haven't
0: seen it, go check it out.
2: It's popped up on my YouTube, but I haven't got to it yet. Yeah, go watch it.
0: Tell me Tom Cruise pulled the hole. I'm dropping the hammer. And Toto's like, no, you're not. <laughs> did he brag
3: about doing his own stunts on the track? Yeah. I'll tell you what he
1: did do. He did tell Weber when Weber did a, a pretty nifty move. He said, hey, that's uh, not too bad for a number two driver, which I Ooh. thought was <laughs> a, pretty, a pretty deep cut. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I appreciate
0: that. That'll do it. All, All right. right. And with that, it's time for everybody's favorite game. All right, Eric, play the sound. Box box box. For those new to our show, Box 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 Bingo sees our panel make some poorly informed prognostications, which is perfectly fine because the points don't really matter. Before every race, our panel makes a series of productions, some obvious, some outrageous, all completely irrelevant to the outcome of the race. So it's like a series of weekly prop bets where everybody has a shot and Gareth always wins. As ever, Haas driver Nikita Mazepin promises spin or bin during the race, which makes up the middle of all of our cars, increasing the possibility of the win. And we all got that one this week, which is awesome. Each of our panelists will quickly run through their favorite predictions and let us know how they did on their bingo card. I'm
3: going to thank Mazepin. Did, didn't he spin twice, if memory serves, like once in qualifying and once in the sprint race? He spun in
1: sprint quali, for sure. I think yeah, he's, he spun right, in uh, Q1, too.
3: So we all got double points for that, quite frankly.
0: I was just about to say, we all get double points for Mazepin's double spin. Yeah, I'm on the really. table, guys.
3: I'm on the table. Phil, your mother, will be so happy.
0: Look at that. A baseline at two points. We're doing better than George still. Like, oh. Oh.
3: Oh. Oh. oh too soon too soon okay Wait, too oh.
0: wow.
3: <laughs> I, I, i'm I actually going to make a prediction right now that he's never going to score points in a williams
0: oh wow coming hard on this one all right i like it
3: it's not not on the board but i don't think it's going to be like this tragic comedy he's never going to score points in a williams
0: excellent and now every person that loves george russell has stopped following our podcast so awesome
2: <laughs> um. So we're now down to seven, which is where we started.
0: Which is where we started in the first place. That's great. That's great. All right, let's get into box one, our predicted top five on the grid. So let's start. How'd you do?
1: Well, guys, I had two Red Bulls in my top five and uh Pierre Gasly. So let's just say that didn't go so well for me. So uh, no points there.
0: You amiibo, fellow. Actually, I had Leclerc up in that top five, too, and Norris, and I don't think I got those others. So I don't know what happened this week
3: yep i did the exact same uh no points for me so
2: i don't i mean i got hamilton i predicted he was going to be on the grid first in the qualifying and he was yeah i got that one too i got hamver i guess so that's like two points right there i got that
3: part right you mentioned leclerc as fifth and you got fourth so yeah half point
0: yeah sure eh, okay i'll take it i'll take two and a half yeah. on that one not bad not bad and then the sprint race let's talk about this because i thought the sprint was great i had a bunch of fun watching it I didn't like that it was the quality for the race, but I thought it was a no. great addition to the weekend. What do you guys think?
2: I thought it was fantastic. It was a lot better than I thought was going to happen. I really was anticipating it was going to be a bit of a let's follow and processionally follow everybody around the track for 17 laps. And it wasn't. There was actually racing. There were actually uh, there was some fun fights in it. So it did settle down about halfway through. You could see once everyone sort of said, okay, I'm not going to make any more time here. I just sort of Eased out a little bit, but it was fun to have. I would say it was more interactive over a weekend, having sort of a, the change up on the Friday, which caused the teams to do something different. And then the Saturday, just gave, from a spectator's perspective, it was a much more interesting and fun thing to go through. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk yeah. more about this in six and F1, but yeah, go ahead,
3: Gareth. Tend to agree with Phil. And the boring middle bit of the race was shorter because the race was shorter. Yeah. Because there is a boring <laughs> middle bit in every single darn race almost every time. So I think it was fun, it was interesting. I don't like to set the grid for the uh, for the race. I think it was very interesting in that everybody learned what people were doing in the race. And we may have seen, okay, this is how Hamilton and Verstappen battled on that first lap of the sprint race. And what did anybody learn from that that translated into the battle on the first lap of the race race?
0: Yeah, you know, this is kind of where I was at, right? Like if FB2 is all about... Your long runs and your kind of race pace runs and things like that, you're gathering telemetry and you're gathering data. This would seem like a much more fun way to do it, right? Or to keep Well, points it's a race scores. simulation.
3: It's a race, an yeah, actual
0: like race it, simulation. Yeah. that would have been really enjoyable. I did not myself like that it's that great either, but since you got the word.
1: Yeah, like it, it kind of turned the Grand Prix into a bit of a, a WRC, like World Rally weekend, right? Like we had a staged Grand Prix. Right. We had the first stage and we saw how guys finished. And then, you know, kind of based on that, we had the second stage and then we declared a winner, right? Like I I don't know, it seemed like a pretty big departure for me from kind of what we're used to seeing. I will echo what's been said. I did like the fact there was something to watch on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That was great. But I, I really think that this should be its own thing. And, you know, our qualifying should be Q one through Q three, like we always have it. Whoever can you know, do the fastest lap, they put their car on the pole, and that's it.
3: And that, and that yeah. goes to the whole argument about, do pole awards mean anything anymore?
0: Yeah, that, that does yeah, not with this format.
2: I don't know if there's an answer for that, but I mean, just to, to go back, I don't necessarily agree that the qualifying format we have, or have been using in, in a lot of the races before now, actually makes sense. You know, it doesn't create for the most interesting and spicy of races which is ultimately, as a, as a race fan, what we want to see. We want to see some racing. We want to see them pushing the limits. You, you don't see a lot of racing if all you do is have is the fastest car up at the front from the beginning all the way through to the end.
1: Are you advocating for a reverse grid? I I, I, I
2: believe Phil has. I, I, I have. Yes, yes. Yeah.
0: You know, I think that would be, I think that would be fun, right? Like a, a reverse grid on sprint race would be a great, again, I think you'd get great data. I think it'd be
2: a lot of fun to watch, you know?
3: Well, in it's yes yeah, purity of the sport blah 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 but the purity of the sport needs people to watch it
2: yeah yeah it's got to be interesting and enticing
3: yeah it has to be engaging and this was like certainly engaging i'm actually going to disagree with spence that it was nice to have something on a friday it was like during the middle of the friggin' day on friday so i could not watch qualifying live
1: only for you east coast guys it was early in the morning for us who like are always suffering in the west coast
2: Garrett yeah but i'm sorry you know what and honestly from a if i was thinking from a uh a grand prix organizers perspective oh i think it's great from a gp organizer perspective but you don't get the volume of people on a friday your crowd is on a saturday right so i mean yeah this is a way of saying is this going to push the cart before the horse is going to push the crowd to come in on a friday
3: well are you speaking out of turn like do you actually have it, uh, attendance figures for I don't have attendance
2: figures for Silverstone. Uh, because I, I, you, I if, figured most if, other Grand
3: Prix. Nobody shows up on Friday but the nerds.
2: No, yeah, most Grand Prix I've been to... People like us. Yeah, I was sitting with my peers in the stands on Fridays, right? On Saturday, yeah. there was, you know, 100,000 people there. And on Sunday, there was 115,000 yeah. people there type scenario, right? Having it on a Friday, does it totally make sense? I don't know. But it did make for a lot of... What I liked as a fan was a lot of Formula 1 stuff to watch. Yes, it yep. was inconvenient and in the middle of the day, and nothing is worse than your phone pinging because you followed somebody on Twitter or Steam's newsfeed, and all of a sudden you know what the result of the qualifying is, which is basically like, why am I going to watch it tonight? If it weren't for this? Yeah.
1: Or, or some asshole from the West Coast is like texting every 30 seconds saying, this yeah. this You guy, know, I this didn't guy, want to yeah. bring that up, Spencer, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> watch this. I'm like, what am I watching? <laughs> Speaking of this,
0: as we get into the box of the utterly predictable, Spencer's like, yeah. Sprint quality does not come at me, which we just did for like a good fifteen minutes. Like it was awesome.
1: <laughs> Look, I, I will give myself half points for that. I thought like it was uh it was an interesting uh an interesting concept, but I like I didn't think the race was great beyond the first lap, right? I mean I think that was that was where all the action was. And then in the last 16 laps, I you know, it was it was it was okay. It was punctuated with some moments of excitement, I guess, but I'm gonna give myself half points.
0: Oh I see, okay. That's right. Moving the goalposts and claiming the win. He is a lawyer. Tire strategy. How do we do on that box, boys?
3: I completely whiffed. I I figured we were going to have a third clean race in a row with no safety cars. I get a half point for that, though, because the uh, sprint race was clean. So there you go. But there was a (laughs) very long safety car period during the actual race itself, including Red Plague period. So the Red Plague leaderboard has another
0: update to it. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I had the mediums winning the day. I thought Silverstone, I mean, it's always a course for medium, like medium compound tires. And the Mercs, at least early in the season, every time they were on mediums, they were unstoppable. But it didn't seem to go that way. Like the uh, softs went great. The, the hards went not great. But the mediums just could not last on this track this, this year. I don't know what's going on. Spend you a bag on your Pirellis again, because I think they're
1: already dropped the as a sponsor. <laughs> yeah, they probably should be. Someone needs to get into the Michelin and the Bridgestone PR departments <laughs> and see if we can get sponsorship for this podcast. But you no, know, my <laughs> prediction for Box 5, uh, I, didn't, I didn't hit on tire strategy. I was actually looking at safety car numbers again, and I said there was going to be two. We had one, and you know, it was a very consequential safety car, obviously, but we did not have another incident that brought up the safety car
3: after that.
0: Yeah, right. All right, let's talk about the three boxes of open predictions. Well, we all went a little bit wild. How did you guys do? Yeah? Decently
3: well, decently well. I, I predicted the Fernando Alonso, he seemed like he was, quite frankly, on a charge. We saw him pop up to fifth in the sprint race on the soft tires, kind of the contra strategy before dropping back. So a challenge for a podium. He got up there close enough and scored decent points, finished seventh. Decent points for Renault. Um, I'll take that. I predicted last time i were ever going to do this. George would finally score points for Williams at home in front of a British crowd and a British team and a British driver. That didn't happen at <laughs> all, and I take that back. And uh, that Sergio Perez was going to make a charge from the pit lane, finish fourth, and mess up the Mercedes-Benz strategy in the process. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no.
0: That no that um, not, Although yeah. what what he
3: did get to do is at the end of the race, Red Bull pitted him. And put him on, I think, I don't know if it's softs or new mediums, and said, go yeah, out there and get the fastest lap. You're not going to get a point from it. I think he dropped from seventh down to 15th or whatever, 16th. But you're going to take a point away from Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes-Benz. So he did mess up the Mercedes-Benz strategy that way. And it's actually very interesting the way they did that. And it's, it's a clear shot at Lewis and not at Mercedes, per se. Because they would have netted out, lost fewer points relative to Mercedes if he'd stayed, finished seventh, scored his six points. And they Mercedes had scored another additional point versus they just went in to specifically take a point away from Lewis for the Max Lewis battle for the Drivers' Championship. Which reminds us that nobody cares about the Constructors' Championship except for the money.
2: Not true. I think they were pragmatic in what they were doing. They don't have a chance of winning the Constructors' Championship because of how inconsistent Checo was at the beginning of the season. Bottas has always been much closer and the chance of them retaining any level of, of the Constructors' Championship in the long run is far slimmer because of how strong the team of drivers but, uh, that they have uh, in Mercedes. So I think from that perspective, they had, they had to think, you know, is there something we can do to try to salvage the Drivers' Championship? And I think, you know, one point we have seen in, in history before uh, making the difference
3: Absolutely. Like this championship is going to come down to you You, got points on a sprint race, you got
2: fastest lap points. Like exactly right. We can foresee how close that is. So I think from that side of things, as a team, they had to make that choice. I know it's a controversial decision, and you know, I've heard people argue it's not very sportive, but at the end of the day, that is completely sporting. That is the point of it's incredibly sporting. That's what it is, right? You're following the rules and you're doing it to the T. You want to win. Uh,
0: I don't. I want to get into that think It did feel like throwing out the bathwater so you could cut the baby, but sure. I mean,
2: once again, though, it's about the drivers' championship. In their eyes, that's the one they want to win.
0: And if you take it that way, then yeah, I mean, that makes total sense strategy wise. It felt petty.
3: No, it's not. And for folks who you know don't follow closely, there's a constructors' championship and a drivers' championship. Where you know you had the points for everybody drove for you. The money is paid on the constructors' championship where you finished in the rankings. But the glory, quite frankly, is on the driver's championship because the years that we have a split championship, nobody remembers except for us nerds who won the constructors. It's this person is world champion and they want Max Verstappen in a Red Bull Honda to be world champion. Like you can clearly see that. So for messing up the strategy. Yeah, that seems like it happened. Bonus points for that. And then I said it was going to be a super boring DRS train race with people out front. And, yeah, that's that's what happened. Seemed like a super boring DRS train d- down the line. So points for that. So I did decently well this time.
0: I think Spence won at least five points for the best posted of the whole thing. What he said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but no, it was actually I think Gareth got his predictions up first. And he had said in that box, George finally scores points for Williams at home. And I thought, yeah, like that, that's going to happen. Right. No, didn't happen. I said Yuki was going to bin it in the sprint quality race. Um, I really thought that, you know, first time in an F1 car around this place, only one free practice session. He's going to push it too hard. He's going to bin it. No, didn't do that. Uh, and then the last thing I said was that this is going to be the weekend that Carlos Science overtakes Leclerc in the driver's standings. And, uh, yeah, that didn't happen. I <laughs> got so, that one it was, wrong. <laughs> it, was, it was a bit of a whiff all around.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, of like, that's a paddling.
1: You know what? Hey, but going into this race, it was pretty close, right? Like I think Carlos yeah, has been he has to be one of the surprises of the year. Like yeah. I'd like to I'd like to say that for the record. Like he has performed Lando Norris won Carlos signs too. Yeah, ap- absolutely. Like he I think he's
3: overperformed what everyone Just thought. Yeah. Performing excellently and carlos signs is the reason that ferrari is fighting so hard with mclaren for the third place in the constructors championship because if you had kind of the delta as between charles and carlos that you have between lando and and daniel uh i think they'd be way further down the standings mclaren be kind of very clear third i agree so he's doing great there
0: it's pretty funny you say that right there's a whole lot of like I make the dough, you get the glory this year in Formula One. It's
2: pretty wild. <laughs> it's, uh, well, that's what it always is, though. That's the sport. You know? To be honest with you, it, it hasn't changed in 30 years I've been following it.
3: It reminds us that Phil's an old man. Speaking of being an old man, Phil, I see that uh, fact in your predictions. It
2: did factor in my predictions. I really thought that the old men were going to show at Silverstone at a historical circuit that they know very well that they could score points, and I so I'd put both Raikkonen and Alonso in the in the top ten. That didn't happen.
3: Uh, but at
2: least Alonso did score points. Raikkonen is, I think, almost proving the point that, you know, his time is, is coming to an end, unfortunately. But he still loves the sport, which I think you got to give him props for doing it. But, you know, he's not pushing the limits as much as he probably could be doing. Um, I also predicted that Stroll would get points ahead of Vettel. It did happen, but only because Vettel did a DNF. Because he's an old man. He, he
3: basically tried to enter the pit lane he remembered from his youth. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: that's
0: what that third pit lane is.
2: <laughs> that's what that was. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Sure, that's where I was supposed to go, guys. Really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at least that's where the, the F1 2002 game takes me.
3: You got that right, Phil. Um, except you spelled Vettel's name wrong, and as we know, spelling and penmanship
2: counts, so no points for you. Oh, yeah.
0: there
2: you go. <laughs> I'm gonna stop playing with you lawyers. This is a painful I game love it. every time. I Holy love crap. It. And then my third prediction on there was the same thing as everybody else. I honestly thought Russell was going to get in the top 10. You know, he proved his, his worth on the Friday. I mean, he really, how he pulled that Williams up on a one lap flyer. That's the piece we've got to look at. But yeah, the Williams, they just don't have sustainability in the race. I mean, we've all got to accept that. I think Garrett's probably right. Russell's probably not going to win a point in the Williams. I'm not going to stop rooting for Russell to win a point in the Williams. None of us will.
3: None of us will. But But
2: we're going to have to accept it. He is not going to get a point in the Williams. And that is a shame because that is a team that massively deserves even just one World Championship point this year for what they've really done. Because they have turned around, uh, and they do have a car. I mean, they're getting the car into qualifying, into Q3. That's an accomplishment. Well, one of their drivers is... One is where it always starts. It only needs one, Gareth. Yes.
1: (laughs) I'll tell you what's going to be a real kick to the junk, and that's going to be when we have a race. It'll be a race like Magello, where you've got 11 finishers and Latifi is going to be the one that gets the point. And then that is really going to be quite something to see how Sky, uh, F1, and everyone else deals with that. I can't wait.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think, like, let's not gloss over the fact, like, Friday for Russell was awesome, right? I mean, I know we touched on it, but, like, that was such a big moment. I'm pretty sure Gareth was about to ugly try the moment it happened. It was yep. truly wild, like, seeing, you know, not only him come into Q3, but, like, seeing Russell, like, really put down a lap on that grid in that car. was With
3: a stand- basically a standing ovation from the crowd, effectively. Yeah. It was beautiful. Like,
0: like, it was F1's Rudy moment. You know, if they could have carried him off the field, they would have.
3: Well, and let's not forget that Russell, he lost three places you got three-place grid penalty for his own actions right. that really kind of set him backwards. So this is just like, was it Monza two years ago where he was 10th and binned it in
2: the safety car? Yeah.
3: Yeah, there's been a couple things like that where you're like, Georgie, come on.
2: Yeah, I mean, two years ago, he was a rookie. I mean, you have to forgive yeah. rookie mistakes. You have to let them make the mistakes. You do, absolutely. Penalties, I mean... Sometimes they're unavoidable, unfortunately, within the sport. And that's just the way it is. Sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. You push too hard. You pay the price later on. And I think he gracefully accepted that this time around. But I think he can push that Williams and get out of it something that (laughs) Latifi can't, right? Correct. And even on race day, he's ahead of Latifi. You know, that's just... George is a good driver. He's a phenomenal driver. You know, I I think uh, we've got some great future ahead of us with him in a in a Formula One and hopefully in a in a Mercedes. No, yeah, makes sense. Well, like Yuki
0: Sonoda, I barely come into the points despite high expectations on this particular box because sometimes you just got to calm down and guess. I had Sonoda with a top 10 finish. That did not happen. I had Bono as the funniest man on the radio and clearly that did not happen this week. Talk about Bono on the radio uh, a little bit later. Ed Gasly winning driver of the day, pissing off the British fans and, and uh, I think, you know, the British fans, as awesome as they were, after that race just kind of pissed themselves off, too. So that was kind of annoying. But generally, yeah, no points for me on my open predictions. But either way, because, you know, I got my two and a half at the top box, so I'm taking it. Box, box, box goes to me this week, because screw it, the points don't matter.
3: Exactly. I mean, they don't matter, but I did win again.
0: Whatever. (laughs) And that's Box, 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 Box Bingo for another week. For our followers, we're going to put up a blank card on our Twitter feed so that you can play at home before the race, take a picture, tweet it to us at Slippin' F1, and we might talk about it with some of your predictions as well. What'd you tell about, Lewis? All right, let's move on to What'd You Talk About, Lewis, where we look at the week's best radio calls between driver and pitwall, some of the broadcaster's best moments, and even some of our own commentary from the during-race text chat. Oh, man, I thought the radios were going to be buzzing more than we got to hear. So let's get into it. And now's that time, boys. It's the first lap shunt between Lewis and Max, and followed by a red flag and a crazy chase for the podium. So what were people saying on the radio? We definitely heard the Red Bull Karen do his thing. But what else happened?
3: One thing that I got from the radios was Lewis trying to justify what had just happened. It was played back. And he starts out and says, he just turned in on me. And then, well, I was ahead. And then he's like, oh, fully alongside. Those are three completely different states of being there, Lewis. And we all know that everybody can hear the radios. And they're, let's call it, dancing for Netflix. Like, they're scripting themselves into the next season of Drive to Survive,
2: as well as lobbying the stewards and the race director, quite That's frankly. what they're doing, Gareth. They're lobbying yeah. the stewards, right? I mean, that's more of a problem for it, really.
3: I'm being slightly facetious about the Drive to Survive, but they're lobbying the stewards and the race director, yeah. And we actually got to hear some of that on the radio.
2: Yeah, I think that's great. But I think I have to say, A, you have to give Lewis some credit. You're in the middle of a race situation. You do have different perspectives. And as you think about it, you start to realize things. But you can almost imagine him saying, he turned into me thinking, okay, you know, Verstappen just spun out. He's going to keep on racing. To, oh, I was alongside realizing, oh, maybe it's a little bit more serious. To, no, I was ahead. Maybe it's a little more serious. To, Oh, I was just fully alongside, sort of implying that, okay, you know what, maybe we have to look at it. But Lewis doesn't do anything without a purpose. No. He has an ulterior motive for absolutely everything he does. That's why he's been so successful. Yeah, he's playing for the stewards there. He's really playing for the stewards. But every driver does it.
0: Every driver does, every team does. Yeah. And
2: we got to hear
3: some of beautiful FIA to team radio, team to FIA radio this week. And my God, they had a bunch of whiny, whiny. And in the heat of the moment, you can understand people. Oh, Michael, do you have a moment? But it was a bit <laughs> ridiculous. Toto wrote Wolf saying, did you get my email with the diagram? <laughs> that was my
0: favorite. <laughs> that was my favorite. I don't check emails. During oh, race Michael <laughs> Massey, the race director.
3: So he's not a race steward. He responds, I don't access my email. I concentrate on the race. And then Ted Kravitz, Sky F1, Pitland reporter pipes up. He's the race director. He doesn't make the decisions. It's the stewards. Because, of course, we have six stewards this time around who were the people making the decisions and handing out the penalties. And we saw after the fact that, you know, Toto runs upstairs to the stewards during the red flag period. Michael Massey actually tells him, well, don't tell me, tell the stewards if you want. And then after the fact, clarification was issued this week that, yeah, don't go see the stewards. You'll get penalties if you run away to see the stewards, which is the proper thing to do. Can't yep.
2: lobby the decision makers. No, but at the same time, I mean, you know, Toto was given permission by Michael on that yeah. one. I have to say, with the way you listen to the radio chat, it's fully interpretable that way. Mm-hmm. And so he went. And they, I mean, yeah, if I was Christian Horner, I'd go too. I mean, it's simple. Absolutely, You've got my competitor who just possibly did something wrong, you know, lobbying the stewards. I've got to make sure my side is heard as well. And
3: I don't know that the
2: guy's okay. And... Yeah.
0: I don't know. Since I think you and I are on the same boat on this one, right? It felt like radio, which usually is highlight of the race, was just really unsufferable, this race, because of lap one. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it was. Like, I mean, everything happened on lap one, Randy, and then kind of there really wasn't a ton after that. Like, I like try to find the deep cuts for my pick for this segment, and, and there really wasn't a lot beyond kind of the, the really obvious stuff on lap one.
0: Yeah, you know, I was looking for... A little moment of Danny Rick Gold, like it didn't happen during sprint racing, it didn't happen during quality. It was a weird, like, usually you'd think with something as exciting as Silverstone that you'd get a lot of chatter on the radio and there'd be a lot of great moments and there really just wasn't. I don't know if they were just concentrating harder and shutting up and racing, but it felt like all that fun drama, all that fun stuff that happens on the radio just wasn't there. I don't know, was that the directors? Was that the drivers?
2: I think it was also the sequence in the, of, of everything, more than anything, where you've got a car that's had a massive shunt and a driver that's been taken off to hospital. Yeah, you know, that goes through the driver's minds quite heavily, right? That does affect them. So are you going to get the same whippy responses? Probably not that we could have had. I think for me, what was interesting is you look at the timelines for the radios, at least that we were getting. I went back through and played back on the Formula One TV and sort of listened to the different radios of the teams. I had that first lap. Lewis didn't ask even close for how is Verstappen until He was in the pit lane. The red flag in the race. Even Leclerc on the first lap, before he's even actually made it to Stowe is asking how is Verstappen, right?
0: Yeah, I am not gonna try to dig a guess what's going through a racing driver's head. I don't know that it's intentional. I don't know that, you know, what all is going on with that. I listened to the interviews with Leclerc after the race where he was like, Look, I saw it happen, I saw it happen right in front of me and it was hard and, and he has his own opinions and I don't want to get into the middle of the debate on whether it was a racing incident or whether it was Lewis's fault or what the hell it was, right? Like, you know, Leclerc said what he had to say, but he's like, Look, I mean I saw him go and knew that it was gonna be bad even as I was passing by him. But there's a lot going on there, like right? being behind it being like, Lewis was part of the incident. So he's thinking about a whole bunch of different things. So I don't want to take a guess. Because you could be right. Like, he's waited and now. now he's saying it to the cameras because we know Lewis is a racer and a performer. But.
2: And I agree with that. But to put it into perspective, at other circuits, at other times when we've had a racer who's hit another driver, they haven't typically waited three laps to ask, oh, how is he? For me, that's the problem, right? Even at the depths of war that was happening in the 80s with Frost and Senna. There was conscious effort to respect each other.
0: Yeah, I can hear what you're saying. And again, I think there's a lot more that we don't know than we know just listening to the radio. And so you brought up an interesting point. And I think I wanted to ask this question at some point during this pod, so I'll ask it now, right? Like, have we now hit the Hunt versus Lauda, Frost versus Senna moment of this championship where, like, it goes from being, like, this gentlemanly kind of dancing around the edges of Niceties to now we're in full-on, like, not just War of words but War on the Track, where are we at?
2: Yes. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> look, you had to look no further than the first video that the official F1 put up on their YouTube feed after the race, right? They did five moments where championship fight kind of, like, kicked off, something along those lines. Great video. I really recommend everyone go watch it. But, I mean, they are saying the same thing, I think, that we're all thinking. Like, this was the turning point, right? This is where it's going to get nasty. And I think it's going to be epic, quite frankly. I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Well, the broadcasters have been saying, like, these guys are going to come together at some point or another. Okay, they've come together. The fireworks have happened. What now?
3: We'll see how they play it because nobody blinked last time like nobody backed out we didn't see hamilton back out like he's done a couple times before you know we're not racing drivers split seconds yada 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 had he backed out hamilton would have overshot the apex of the corner he could have gone back under him potentially will max be a little bit more clever and patient
2: i don't think max will ever be patient that's just not in his character which is part of what makes him mm-hmm. so fun to watch You know, I've watched it back, and obviously, you know, we're not the analysts. If you want a thorough analysis of it, there's some fabulous ones out there. But did he know for sure that Hamilton was actually going to be that close? No. I think you can seriously say, yeah, Hamilton was understeering as he was going into the cops. Mm -hmm. All right. Max has no way of knowing that. He's just taking the line, the racing line that he needs to take. And we saw, and I will say this, the arguments: could he have gone a little bit wider, all right, and given Hamilton a little bit more room? Yes. But we saw Leclerc do that and totally lose it. Yeah, absolutely. That's the risk. So mm-hmm. you know on cops, if you're not on that racing line, it's a very small inch to where you're hitting the curve and you're losing. Yeah, you're incredibly compromised. So you've got to, you know, you're racing at full tilt. You've got to give it the beans. And I mean, Verstappen's case, an argument is that the guy behind knows that he's behind Mm -hmm. knows what that first corner is knows that he's got cold tires knows he's got a full fuel load you know you're probably not going to make that angle come on Hamilton's an experienced race driver if this was Mazepin would we be having the same debate
3: no and Mazepin would have gotten a stop and go penalty and been black Pegged out of the race
2: yeah well I don't know we don't know that but the reality is The driver behind, the driver at that point, which Hamilton was in getting into that apex, should be more conscious about what he's going into.
0: Well, with due respect, if this was uh, Mazepin fighting Max on the first lap on the cop's corner, I would also be six feet tall and look like Tyson Beckford. I mean, let's not talk about things that are just not going to happen. right? Now Now we know what you dream about every (laughs) night, Randy.
3: (laughs) I don't think I heard that. It's six feet tall and looks like Mary Pickford. Okay.
0: It's Tyson Beckford, <laughs> not Mary Pickford, although still far better looking than I am, by the way. <laughs> well, let's finish off. Uh, what you talk about, Lewis? So let me ask you guys, because I honestly, I mean, I looked over the chat and there was some good moments, but since I'm usually the one that chooses, I thought I'd ask you guys, what were the best moments for you of our text chat, which is usually how we end this segment?
3: I mean, it was the point where I woke up about uh, halfway through the race and made coffee and started watching the race. <laughs> sometimes maybe I sleep through the start of the race the alarm goes off I get up and I say it's too much effort
0: yeah this is, this is just really so you can avoid Spence complaining about how early it is basically
3: I mean we lived together for two years I've had enough of this whining
1: <laughs> actually the best part of the text chat from this past week was from Randy and it p- probably is not repeatable even on this uh <laughs> podcast with an explicit tag <laughs>
0: Fair
3: enough. <laughs> My favorite part of the chat was Andrew asked his wife, Martha, what she thought of the hamilton Verstappen incident. And I believe Martha said he needs to get a penalty and be disqualified. She did. She said yeah. that.
2: <laughs> so she should be it. a race steward.
3: <laughs> and she is as qualified as anybody else, as far as I know, to be a race steward. So, well, yeah, Martha. <laughs> She's as qualified as anyone else in this podcast to
1: be a race steward anyway. But she, she came through... She heard me kind of screaming from the basement. And after she said, why were you getting so worked up about? So I played it back and I showed her what happened. And I said, do you believe they only gave him a 10-second penalty for this? And she said, but he put him into the wall at like, you know, a really high speed,
3: like he should be disqualified. I said, yeah, yeah, Black Flag would have been great on that. But I, I just like having the outside perspective. It was like, well, he hit the guy and he's out of the race.
0: Yeah. You know, somebody on the Internet, you know, somebody way better at this than me is going to, like, take that first lap and just cut in, like, moments from Days of Thunder into it. Like, I'm putting this guy into the wall. <laughs> this guy's going down.
3: <laughs> cut that in and then cut in some scenes of, like, a Chevy Lumen and a Ford Taurus bashing the crap out of each other.
0: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> wow, well, that's another What You Talking About Lewis for this week. Let's get into our next segment. We had so much fun last week doing this that we're going to bring it back again. It's time for Penalty Props and Steward Sewer. (laughs) Lewis and Max Debate Edition. Gareth, who gets the penalty props and what's in the Steward Sewer this week? I'm actually going to give, and we can have this
3: debate, was it a racing incident? Would a penalty ought to have been applied? At least the stewards are being consistent week to week. Uh, At least we're seeing consistent stewarding where if you put somebody off or put somebody in a wall, they're going to say, Well, that wasn't quite right. No, it's a Martha thing. That wasn't quite right. He needs to get a penalty. Uh, Like I said, the interesting thing is Lewis got a penalty for not keeping control of the car under Article 2D, Chapter 4, Appendix L, the FIA International Sporting Code. (laughs) Chapter 4 is Code of Driving Conduct on Circuits. So we saw that. The interesting thing. Is the penalty applied? There's a sliding scale of penalties, the lowest being a five-second time penalty. Either you serve it at a stop or added to your race time. Lewis got a 10-second penalty added to a stop. We saw them serve that stop. A you know, man with a stopwatch, and hitting another man on the shoulder who has a sign that moves, very high-tech. They didn't go for a what's called a stop-and-go penalty where you actually have to come in, drive down the pit lane, stop, not do any pit service leave the pit lane so it's effectively adding a pit stop journey plus 10 seconds or any sort of disqualification so i think the stewards basically said yeah there's some fault here but it, by and large almost erased an incident i like the consistency because if there'd been nothing it would have been an explosion
0: Bill, i know you're ready to jump in here and fair enough this weekend was probably the british version of john 316 right thou shalt not put max into a wall
2: no, I, I think Gareth's right. The props do go to the students for being consistent. I think they're being consistently wrong, but at least they're being consistent. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I still don't think they've necessarily gotten any of these rulings 100% correct, but hey, that's my opinion and I'm knowledgeable at least not unbiased, but I'm knowledgeable about these things. Yeah, for me, they were consistent. Was it a <laughs> racing incident, though? I don't agree. I think there should have been more on that one. Uh, I think he should have got a stop and go, for sure. If only because... Of how he was going in on the first corner. Once again, we're not talking about an inexperienced driver. We're talking about a seven-time world champion who's raced for pretty much the last, what, 14, 15 years now in Formula One. You know Cops. He's been around it a few hundred times, folks. You know how the car handles. You know know what you're going into, and you know what your car is like on its first lap. I think he just had a momentary blip and forgot what he was doing. If I'm going to be honest with you, and probably the same thing that you can argue that happened back in Spain with Nico and him years ago.
0: In what did Martha tell you to say?
2: (laughs) Well, I told you she
1: thinks it's a a full DQ, but you know, I'm with Phil on this. Like, I I think the the decision was probably wrong. You know, DQing him probably would have been too
3: much, but I think a stop-go would have been more appropriate here. And what I would add on to that is. Say it happened a slightly different time in the race and he'd already made his one stop. A ten second time penalty added on to your time at the end of the race for somebody like Lewis Hamilton could be meaningless, quite frankly. Right. So I mean, we know that there's a very subjective contextual analysis that the stewards have to do. So maybe they said, you know, had this happened a different time in the race, maybe it would have been a ten second stop and go over. So we will never know,
0: of course. So Spence, you know, I'll ask you this, because I usually ask the other guys It's like take us through the different types of penalties that Lewis could have gotten here, right? Because we're talking about like a 10-second penalty versus a stop and go.
1: Yeah, so so I think Gareth kind of touched on it earlier. Like the smallest penalty they could have given him was a five-second penalty, you know, added on to his pit stop, where he would have had to come into the box, wait five seconds before, you know, anyone on the team serviced the car. He finishes his pit stop and he goes on. If that happens near the end of the race and, you know, there, he's not coming in again, the five-second fist gets tacked on. Similarly, the next level would be what he got, which was the 10 second penalty added onto the pit stop. From there, the next thing is the drive through, where you actually just come through the pit lane, you drive the length of the pit lane with your pit lane speed limiter on, right? So you're going at 80 kilometers an hour. I think the the limiter is at Silverstone. Full 20 second cost or whatever it is. Yeah. Exactly. And then after that is the stop go, which we've talked about a bit, which is you come in, you sit in your box for however long, and then you move on. I guess beyond that, it's just the straight DQ.
0: I think it's important to notice on a stop go, right? They're not allowed to work on the car, if I understand that's right. That's right. You come in, you sit in the box, and then away you go again, as opposed to a time penalty where like they come in, you can't touch the car for 5, 10 seconds, and then they can work on it, and then you go, right? Yeah. And I think that's a pretty important
2: distinction. And I think if you're looking at it, that's where I'm saying the stewards were unfair about the whole thing, because if the, the reality being... A 10 second on the first lap means, you know, it's going to get served in a pit stop, right? Correct. It is purely just 10 seconds somewhere in, in your sequence of things, right? Whereas if you did a 10 second and was further on it later in the race, it could still have an actual bigger impact. I and mean, in this situation, it would have done because it would have pushed him further back.
3: Yeah, just you've, you've got less time to come back from it. Yeah.
2: For me, I think it's you know, how early the incident happened. Uh, also, should have dictated what was being given. But hey, the stewards are there for a reason, I guess. Are they now? Very <laughs> different perspectives than what I was saying on the day off, but I was in the heat of the moment too.
0: Of course, as we all were in, in that particular time. Gareth, you get the last word on penalty props and Stuart Sewer.
3: And I'll revert back to uh, Andrew Spencer's comment about Milton Keynes and uh, Christian Horner being in his cave of plotting revenge and all this sort of stuff. Horner is still making noises about we're going to appeal. If you ever read a steward's decision. They all end with competitors are reminded they have the right to appeal certain decisions, blah, 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 accordance with blah, 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 time limits. <laughs> I think the time limits like 14 days, which is the day of the Hungarian Grand Prix and is still making noise. We might appeal this. I don't know if or when last time something like that was appealed. The learned comments I've heard are that an appeal is unlikely, but we'll see he's at least posturing and, play, and playing the
2: psychological game. As, as we expect him to do. Well, that's half of the sport, yeah, too. Yeah, as we expect him to do. But say he does
0: appeal, what are the possibilities then? Like, do they give Lewis a time penalty at, at Hungary? Do they give him a grid penalty?
2: What happens? All those things are on the table, I'll be honest with you.
3: Reprimands, just, I've got some of the sporting code up in front of me. Drop of grid positions at next event. Disqualification from the results after the fact. Suspension of an event. Those are all penalties that are open.
2: They've also, I mean, if you look back, you look back to ninety seven, there's actual removal of points. Yeah. An entire season's worth of points. Like Michael Schumacher, he was
3: effectively disqualified from the season. That's what happened to Schumacher.
2: So there is no shortage of what they can do. In reality, I think it is posturing a little bit, a little bit of mental gains from Christian that they're gonna appeal. Mm-hmm. Even if they did go through in the appeal, gonna end up with the same sort of scenario.
3: I mean, I'm talking more or less out of the side of my head here. I don't really litigate, but when you do appeal, this is effectively like a tribunal lower court ruling. Usually you can only appeal on matters of law, not matters of fact. And they'd just have to, like Red Bull would have to somehow craft an argument that the penalty was not appropriate given the facts that had been accepted. So I think it's a tough thing for them to do if they wanted to do it. And Christian Horner's just playing games from his Horner Cave. No, I, I
2: partly agree with you. But I think it'd be tough for them to sell to the, the FIA Court of Appeals that we accept the facts. But the ruling wasn't severe enough. I mean, by nature of how they, how the stewards wrote that ruling, the facts are there. And if you accept those facts, that's the result.
3: Well, and the result is car 44 is judged predominantly at fault, not wholly at fault, predominantly, which means, okay, Max, you had something to do with this. So it's, here's your race incident. And it's a little bit more than a race incident, but not a, you turned in on the guy and put him off. So I don't think it's going to go anywhere.
0: Well, that flushes down this week's steward sewer and penalty props. We'd love to hear what you have to say about things. So send us your thoughts at at f one on Twitter. All right. So, you know, many of our listeners came to us because of Netflix documentary, Drive to Survive. And this weekend gave us no shortage of drama. Clearly, the beginning of that next series of documentaries is going to begin on that cop's corner. It's going to have to be. That's That's where it is. But, you know, that'll also make it, you know, all kinds of our favorite conspiracy theories also coming up, I'm sure, during that season, too. So then what was your big conspiracy theory of the week? Because I, mean, I know you got them. Clearly, there was some conspiracy theories that jumped out of you, Phil. Me? <laughs> he uh, says instant- I, instantly. <laughs> I,
2: I have no conspiracy theories. Yeah, I mean, you easily could have said there was a conspiracy theory in terms of that because of the stewards uh, predominantly were British and because it was at the British Grand Prix that Hamilton was let off relatively light for the infraction. And I'm not sure I believe it, but that's a fun one that's out there that's roaming around on the internet. And
0: Dan, you said something really interesting, that sprint race points and fastest lap points are very well going to be the difference this year. Tell us more about that.
3: We're having such a close year that having that extra point that you get for the fastest lap if you finish in the top 10 or the sprint race, and it was a race, by the way, it wasn't sprint qualifying, it was a race, (laughs) goddammit. I think it was 3-2-1 for the top places, I think, if memory serves. Yeah. These are the marginal points that are going to be the difference between first and second in the drivers championship this year. And maybe even lower down as well throughout the championship because things are so close. And you can actually see, you know, I've got the points up here that where the kind of I'm gonna call them the cohorts are developing in the points. We've got a eight-point spread between Lewis and Max. Here we are after 10 races. And there's a very close another. What six point spread between Lando and Valtry? There's some really close point spreads all the way down through that, and these are gonna be the differences in the drivers and the constructors championship, and doing things like we talked about with Sergio taking that one point from Lewis so that Lewis is not putting another point on Max because Max is you know not scoring points this race. That's the stuff that's gonna make the difference. I don't think it's a conspiracy theory; I think it's just good hard tactics, quite frankly, but it like I said before it very clearly shows that Red Bull is probably doesn't almost care if they win the constructors. They'd like to, but they want Max to be driver's champion.
2: You know, on that, it also goes to the fact that we are at the end of what has been six or, or seven years with this formula of, of Formula 1. And it, the, the racing is actually more competitive. It is closer, right? Oh, yeah. So It only took us seven years to get here. And it, it took us seven years up, right? to get here. And guess what? Next year, we're changing the format all over again, folks. It's like fantastic. I mean, I think they've done this a few times where it's taken a while to get it all the kinks worked out. You finally got it. finally gets season. good.
3: And then we cancel the show.
2: <laughs> and then you cancel the show. And one team is going to come out of the gates and always happen and blow us away for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to have one team that manages to do something special for the one year and gets that item banned, a.k.a. the diffuser uh, or the double diffuser. So, you know, uh, Formula One has a habit of sort of almost destroying itself.
3: Well, it eats itself. It eats its young.
2: Yeah.
0: That's what about you? You said you had a few conspiracy theories lined up for this one. Tell us about some of your favorite ones.
1: Yeah. Uh, first of all, Randy, for the record, I, I thought that Gareth and Phil are way too close to being grounded in reality on those last couple. So I don't know if they <laughs> count as conspiracies, but Oops. You know, like we, we talked about one already, which is, I think, it's quite clear that McLaren slowed Lando's pit stop down. Just to make Danny Rick feel a bit better, right? So they be a little closer? You know? I love the I, Danny, Rick, uh,
0: look, Danny Rick conspiracy theory.
1: I love it. Yeah, look, I don't even know if that's really up for debate at this point. But anyway. <laughs> like this. They, they clearly brought him his number one driver and they have to keep him, Andrew. Yeah, exactly. 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 Uh, so Zach Brown doesn't want to look bad, right? At the end of the day. And the second, you know, kind of McLaren connected conspiracy theory, which is just, you know, going crazy right there now on, on the interweb is uh, this whole idea of, An F1 North American pro sport curse, right? So a couple of weeks ago, we had Lance Stroll with the Montreal Canadiens logo on his helmet, right? They were talking about it on the broadcast, like, what is this? Why does he have this logo there? Oh, it's for his hometown hockey team. They go on to lose the cup final to the Lightning. Fast forward to this weekend. Lando's got Phoenix Sun stickers all over his Why McLaren.
3: Did they, did they sponsor McLaren? What was I, going I on with the Phoenix Suns? I
1: thought it was just him showing his appreciation for the Sun.
3: He I thought it was on that. both cars. It was like, I, I think there was there's sponsorship so much crossover. on both cars.
1: Okay. Well, jeez. This is making this conspiracy theory even weirder
2: then, guys. I <laughs> know. I mean, you know what? I think we'll go as far as to say it's maybe this the you know the individuals supporting special things. Because, I mean, Lando was also at the UEFA Cup final and Britain lost. So, I mean, yeah, you know. Yeah, there you go. So, there you and go. Then, so and it's... then he
3: went to Wimbledon and got mugged. So.
2: No, no, Basically no, 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 no. He got mugged he got at Wembley. At Wembley. Wembley. Yeah. yeah. It, was no, well, it was Wembley, not Wimbledon. No, yeah. Wembley's not Wimbledon. They're close. <laughs> But they're two different sports as well. Uh, I love it. Yeah.
0: So hold on a sec. So is your conspiracy theory that like Lando is basically equivalent to like being on the cover of SI? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, pretty
1: much. If Lando's in your corner, you're screwed. Exactly it. You got it. <laughs> oh,
0: I love it. I love it. Lando, can you just throw an American flag on during these Olympics? That would be Awesome. <laughs> awesome.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Let's take it one step further. Lewis Hamilton, big Lando Norris fan. I feel like Lando Norris is going to give Lewis some love on social media. Maybe um, Max after that. And that's how Lando goes from third to first.
0: Oh, I see. Oh, okay, I see well, what you go. doing. Now <laughs> we're getting give me into Give hat,
3: guys.
1: Right? Wow.
0: Okay. I <laughs> love it. Now we're in a foil hat territory. <laughs> this is what this thing is all about, guys. I love it. I, I just had to, like, hit
3: my arm a few times and get the 5G and my vaccine working.
0: Yeah, man. I really can't wait to see what Bill Gates does with my clone. It's going to be a lot of fun.
3: I, I just can't wait to have a Randy clone just hanging around my house being like, let's go watch baseball.
0: OK. Yeah. Uh, hopefully he's like taller and funnier, but we'll, we'll work it out. Nice. So with that, let's close out this week's episode with Winter wins. Each of us will drop three things in this group chat that you enjoyed, were perplexed by, or simply downright irked from this race in the British countryside. Phil, you're all ready to bang on my Merc. So, Andrew, you get to go first. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't have any uh, any Merc banging to do here, Randy. Look, um, I think we've talked about it already. Really happy to see the Silverstone chaos. You know, this venue, at least in my limited F1 experience, always delivers. And, you know, it was another race that we're talking about, right? Like, it's, I think, at least at the level of the first Silverstone race last year. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, a very entertaining race. Probably one of the top three of this season so far. Sprint qualifying, you know, I was going to talk about it as my kind of future of the sport thoughts. Look, honestly, we've, we've talked about this at length. I don't have a lot more to say other than it was really great to have something on three days. Uh, the weekend, yes, it was a little bit of a boring race aside from the first lap. But you know what? Let's try it again and let's see what happens with it. I'll, I'll, I'll reserve judgment for
2: now. I agree with that. All right, Phil, get in it. I mean, Merck bashing, I mean, yeah, seriously, if I'm not allowed to pick on a team because they, all they do is run at the top, then uh, what's the point of having a sport? That's going to be my <laughs> my question to this thing. It doesn't matter who's first. I'm always going to pick on them. You know, I really enjoyed Silverstone. I did, despite the drama. And boy, was there a lot of drama at this circuit. It's a fun circuit. It was fun to see everybody there. It was fun to see the energy of the British fans. I'm going to get into this. I have to get into this. I'm sorry. I disagree with how long it took Hamilton to get to the freaking podium after the race. That was unacceptable. Anybody else, any other racetrack, the stewards would have grabbed him by the neck and put him on the podium. I've never seen it take that long to get to a podium ceremony. I'm just going to say. Like, when in the history has it ever taken that long? Even in Mexico, where the crowds are massive, it's never taken that long. I was appalled. Anyway, that's my rant for the moment about that, about the circuit. Here's a
3: note. Uh, but, Phil Cantrell was appalled with the podium ceremony procedure.
2: I know, shouldn't that Yeah, but that tells you about how boring the race, rest of the race really was, other than that. I have to say, I'm really feeling it for Ferrari. They were so close to actually getting that top step of the podium. Yeah, I felt bad for Leclerc. I think he rung that Ferrari for everything it was worth. And obviously, a few engine tweak problems along the way. And as for the sprint sessions, I think it's exciting. New addition. I think it's great to change things up a little bit. I'm still standing by my decision that, you know what, we should have reverse grids. I think that would be a lot more entertaining. Not necessarily every time, but sometimes. Just to throw a wrench, get teams to think outside of the box. And we know Michael Massey is a big fan of yours, Phil. So I'm sure he's
0: listening right now. Gareth, you're up.
3: I mean Michael Massey will get Phil's emails, I'm sure.
0: I'm sure you won't read them during the race. Yeah, yeah.
3: So my kind of let's call it an overall thought about is, and Rand, you and I, we talked about this. I know you might touch on it, you know. Fan is short for fanatic, as Alan Cross has taught us. And there's kind of some ugly partisanship going on, like the racist abuse that Lewis Hamilton got. Why? Why? And I feel like none of these people, if they met him, you know on the street or we're in the grandstand, seeing them wave a flag would be yelling at stuff like that at them. And the partisanship doesn't need to be stoked. Honestly, it's well, yeah, we bash on Merck for the reasons that Phil has set out, but we don't hate them because of immutable characteristics. I'm not pleased to see that and some of the posturing around that. Mm-hmm. Then you thought it has proper corner names and there's a proper history that Phil properly explained to us and it's a right proper thing. <laughs>
2: It's British, after all.
3: Indeed. I mean, and oh, my, my favorite corner name, there, there's a couple like Brooklyn's, obviously the old Brooklyn's bank track. And then they've, they have a corner called Bridge. And that's literally because they built a bridge there when they did a relay out of the circuit sometime in the 60s. Well, this one's very historical, and we put a bridge there, so this is Bridge. Yep. It's the best of both British worlds. <laughs> a specific driver, I'm actually going to say a nice thing about Mazepin. He put a great move on Mick Schumacher and got him in the race. And it was actually a kind of over, under, over, under, through I think about three corners. It was a nice proper racing move that was clean. So we can't shit on him in that. And future of the sport, this is my sprint format idea that preserves the magic of pole and lets everybody go mental in the sprint race. And this goes back to what Phil was talking about in terms of let's have some like kind of real wacky chaos. So right now the cars go in you know park fermé basically from qualifying onwards to the end of the race. I like to propose okay do your free practice on Friday, do your qualification for the sprint race, do a 10 lap sprint race. So 10 laps, you're probably never going to have any sort of tire choice. Everybody's going to go hog wild on the softs. Award, you know, quarter points or something for it. After that race on Saturday, take the cars out of park fermé. So the teams can change whatever they want. They can do a sprint setup on their car, whatever they want. Run an FP2 in the afternoon on Saturday. Run qualification for the race on Sunday morning. Run a proper race on Sunday.
2: Can I point out two flaws in that? One, park frame A is mostly there for cost protective measures. This isn't going to do that. This is going to allow cost no, to spiral will, a little bit. No, this will bit. drive up
3: costs, just like sprint races have.
2: Secondly, it doesn't actually change The qualification for the races, which means that you're going to still end up with some racetracks where they're notoriously boring and one follows the other after the other type of racetracks, it's always going to be like that. You've got to change it up for those circuits. That's the point.
3: Is that the point? Or is the point having a more engaging experience on the Saturday and 2022 cars that can follow better?
2: Well, we have to see if that's going to be the case. I mean, come on. I'm sorry. I don't think Formula One teams are not going to come up with a way in which they're going to Ensure that they're hindering right, the car right. behind using the guidelines save, that are set save out it by for the Formula debate one. next
0: time, man. Save it for the debate, boys. This is Wednesday. <laughs> all right, with that, then I would say my three takeaways from this week. I'd say my driver observation is that I'm really loving, you know, forget uh, Merck and Red Bull for a little bit. In the midfield teams, I'm really loving seeing some like real in team competition, in team battles between drivers, especially obviously. You know, Norris Ricardo really starting to do their thing, and that's really exciting to me. And obviously, Charles and Carlos doing theirs as well, but also a little bit of Seven Lance and Alcon and Allo doing their thing. At some point, is going to calm himself down and start to fight with Gasly property. It's just going to be a lot of fun to see the, the mid-race go that. Venue impression, Silverstone's always going to be brilliant. I was so stoked to see crowds and so stoked to see people actually happily enjoying racing, really appreciating drivers. That I will say, and, and thanks for talking about Gareth, people need to hear it from you, not from me. Yeah, you know what? There is no space for racism in the sport. And there's a lot that can be talked about. I saw a meme that was titled diversity in F1. And there was two panels, right? What it should be. And it showed a checkered flag. And then it showed what it is. And it showed a white flag with one black square on it. And I thought that was kind of a very prescient thing. And I think the sport has a long way to go. And even just talking about the sports, guys, like, I mean, when we drop this thing live, there is a chance that I will face racist abuse because of something immutable. And it just isn't, you know, there's no space for it. The sport doesn't deserve it, right? You know, have your favorite team, have your favorite player, have your favorite engines, whatever it is. But I don't think it needs to get to, you know, and I've said this before, right? The one thing I will say about Hamilton, say it whatever you want about him. He talks too much. He's this, he's that, the next thing. The man has driven with the weight of this in the cockpit with him since he started and still managed to win seven championships and no other driver has had to face that. If Max had caused this incident, he would not have faced that type of abuse after this race. And no other driver has said to face that kind of weight on top of everything else that they've got to face as an athlete. So I think you got to look at that. But I think the sport really does need to do more to stamp this out and not just You know, the Wii race is one ceremony at the beginning of it. Like, what are teams doing? What are the mandates? What are the actions? And that's kind of my future of the sport thought is, where are you going with this, guys? You know, what are you going to do differently? What are you going to bring about? That said, I mean, I love the sport, the sprint race. Uh, You know, I don't think it should be part of quality. I think there should be a whole other beast that happens there that's a lot of fun and i'm I'm excited that f1 is willing to try new things again and excited what's going to happen next year and i think there's gonna be a a lot of great things and i think they should hire us to come in and try to fix stuff but that's just me so that's another episode of flipping f1 as the checkered flag drops on this week's race week we're going to come back in hungary in a couple weeks where we'll be hanging around in beautiful budapest if you like what you heard, please throw us some stars. Even better, please follow us at at f one to tweet the link out to this broadcast and invite a friend to listen with you next week. And so We'll talk to you then. The past week, though, the world lost an unsung genius and rapper Biz Marquis. And more than just a friend, Biz played such a huge, huge role in all of the music we listen to. And while Biz loved cars and he loved flashy cars, I imagine he would have had a lot of fun with this cast. And so... To say goodbye to him in tribute, I want to say, "Take us out, Biz." Flipping that fun is edited by Eric W., who makes us all sound great and far funnier than we actually are. Eric, drop that beat and let Biz take us out.
3: Do oh let's do I let's oh let's do I to do oh, let's let's